All right, welcome back to the Right Side Up Leadership Podcast. And this is a crazy episode because what this signifies is a full year of the Right Side Up Leadership Podcast, which is insane. It feels like just yesterday, Alan, that you and I were talking about this. It was uh, fall of 2018 where we schemed up this crazy idea and we said yes. And it's been a whirlwind, an amazing whirlwind and an amazing ride. So just so pumped that I've been able to do this with you. And we are looking forward to 2020 where we are going to go to two episodes. And uh, we've got some new formats for the podcast coming up, Q&A, different conversations, amazing guests lined up that I am personally just pumped about. So Alan, thanks for doing this podcast with me. And uh, it's been awesome to, to be on this journey with you. Yeah, man. Well, thanks for talking me into it. Um, when we thought about this, you know, our lives were already full and we had a lot going on and we're already coaching leaders. But man, this has just added so much texture to a lot of the conversations that we're having. And uh, man, 2019, such a good year. So many conversations and really tough to decide our highlights, by the way, to, to narrow down what the highlights are. Um, we've heard back from many of you guys. You've shared different clips and things that have stuck out to you and quotes. Keep doing that. But this next year, as David said, we are going to change it up. Uh, we're going to go to you on location and do some mobile recording this year. Um, a couple more that will feel like an experience to you. We'll keep bringing back some amazing guests. You'll get to hear from David and I. But every Tuesday and Thursday, and you subscribe, those will come on into you, and we promise you it'll be more practical content. Um, that's what we're going for, not just inspirational uh, in the clouds, but really practical, kind of bringing it down to to earth. And honestly, that's a lot of these clips uh, for me were very, very practical. Some of them we had to break them into two episodes because there was just so much gold dropped on those. And so uh, our first clip today, I chose Lance Witt, and we're gonna kind of we're gonna start with Lance today. We're gonna end with Lance. Lance has just been an incredible friend, incredible voice of health, especially among pastors. He does incredible work, and we talk some about leadership development. We talk some about pastors and leaders replenishing some of the barriers to health. So here are a couple clips of my friend Lance Witt. So after four pretty lengthy conversations, we decided to step down. And uh, I was really in a moment of crisis in that moment, kind of burned out, fried, uh, confused, not sure what I should do with my life. And one night on a long plane ride to Singapore, just cried out to the Lord, like, God, what do you want me to do in this season of my life? And I've never had that many mystical experiences. But in that moment, God just met me in such a real way with such clarity and said, I want you to help leaders be healthy, holy, and humble. And I felt very unqualified, but I also felt in that moment like I could give my life to that. And so that was the birthplace of this idea of a ministry called Replenish. And part of it's really my own journey, Alan, of like trying to bring my own soul back to life and understand what does it look like to live and lead from a healthy soul. And I think the order of that's really important, that it's not just about leadership, but how do I live well? And then out of the overflow of that, begin to to do ministry from a healthy place. So, you know, for the last 12 years, I've been doing this ministry, trying to come alongside leaders personally and in their churches to provide practical coaching that isn't so much about their preaching or their small groups, but it's about them because, you know, the greatest asset they have to give their church is their own 
healthy soul. The kinds of issues that pastors and ministry leaders in the front lines of ministry today are dealing with are so much more complicated and the stresses and pressures culturally and inside the church, families falling apart. I just think the kind of stress that's on pastors is way different than it used to be. And I'll tell you another pressure today. You've got to be a slam dunk communicator because every single week your people can get online and listen to some of the best communicators in the world. Um, and so you can't, you know, you can't be a C minus preacher. You got to bring the goods. You got to be practical. You got to be relevant. You've got to be inspirational. And there's just a ton of pressure that comes, I think, uh, for that in pastors. And, and then you get the whole idea of the kind of criticism that pastors get, you know, maligned with these days. I, I often think about people will say things online in an email that they would never say to you in person. And so again, just sort of the, the kind of barrage of criticism and, and entitlement and stuff that plays into a pastor's world these days is just so much different than it used to be. And I think all of that leaves us in this place of like, oh my gosh, I just feel overwhelmed and stressed out. And I think, Alan, actually it makes the case of why this whole issue of soul care is more important than ever because we do get our souls drained more quickly. We, we lose our way more quickly. And one of my favorite sayings I, I use from a guy named Parker Palmer um, in my ministry is, every leader has a special responsibility to pay attention to what's happening inside himself or herself, lest the act of leadership do more, more harm than good. And I just think that is so spot on that if I don't pay attention to my soul and what's going on inside of me and manage that well and lead myself well, I actually run the risk of prostituting that sacred gift of leadership influence and actually doing more harm than good. And that's a scary thing. So that overwhelm thing, it's real. All right, David, who's up next? This was the first interview that I got to have on the podcast, and quite honestly, I was pretty nervous about it, but it was an amazing experience because I got to talk with John Tyson. And John Tyson um, talked about his book, The Burden is Light, and it's this whole idea that as leaders put a lot of pressure on ourselves that doesn't need to be there that a lot of it is self-imposed and self-manufactured. And John offers us some good news. Jesus has made our burden light as leaders. So enjoy this conversation with John Tyson. When I turned 40, I did an exercise, a life evaluation to try and discern what I call sovereign themes. What parts about my story are unique that are indicators to the themes that my ministry should be shaped by. Hmm. So for me, I discovered four of those things and I realized that rather than just being accidents or incidents, they were actually the design of the ministry I was called to steward. So for me, those are prayer and revival coming from a charismatic tradition in, in revival, living in radical community, basically Finkenwald-esque life together Bonhoeffer living, which is where I live right now. Um, faith and work, integrating faith and work, like enabling people to find the call of God in all of life and culture, uh, and then one-on-one -on -one discipleship. So those are the four themes of my life. Our church is in many ways really built around those themes. Hmm. So what are your sovereign themes? Lead out of them. That's a way to find your upward call. 
Okay, Alan, who do you got for us? I love this next interview. So Jesse Cole is kind of the mastermind behind all things Savannah Bananas, and he is really revolutionizing baseball as we speak. Uh, He talks about turning around a team that nobody wanted to show up to minor league baseball. In fact, it had failed in Savannah, Georgia. He brings it back. They're doing some incredible things. So we've sliced and diced a couple clips from my conversation with Jesse Cole, talking about fun, talking about experiences, and I absolutely got fun punched in the face chatting with him and reading his book. So I hope you enjoy this conversation with Jesse Cole half as much as I did. So I took on the worst uh, performing team in the country in a small town right outside of Charlotte, North Carolina in Gastonia. And uh, showed up that first day uh, as a general manager at 23 years old. Uh, you know, I don't think they would. No one wanted the job, so that's why they gave it to me because there was o- there was only 200 fans coming to the games and uh, $268 in the bank account that first day. So I realized we had a huge problem on our hands, and uh, you know, I realized what business we're in, but what business we're really in. And we weren't in the baseball business because we weren't attracting fans or bringing in revenue. So at that point, we decided to uh, create a circus. And where a baseball game would break out. And we started trying numerous promotions, grandma beauty pageants, flatulence, fun nights, salute to underwear nights, you name it, we tried it. And uh, we started creating attention and learning that people want to be entertained. They want to have fun. And that's where it started. That was, you know, back uh, many years ago. And, you know, since then I ended up buying that team. I ended up sold, selling that team. It went from, you know, having a couple hundred fans to selling out games. And then we decided where the journey take a huge step was coming to Savannah, Georgia, where professional baseball was there for 90 years, but it failed because no one was coming to games and they left and left this abandoned stadium. And we said, why don't we try? And that was just three years ago. You know, we believed that we were doing something special. And I think so many companies today, they're in it for the wrong reasons. They may just look to try to make some profit or they see this quick opportunity or they feel like they could be a little bit better. Well, we believed we were doing something dramatically different than everyone else. And we focus on this all the time. Be the only. Better isn't different. Only is different. What can you be the only? And we believed we were the only team in the country where we had dancing players. Every single game, our players do choreographed dances. Uh, You know, a senior citizen dance team, pep bands. We believed we could do some things dramatically different. Uh, Make every single ticket all you can eat, where you didn't get nickel and dimed when you come to the ballpark. So we had this vision. But when we came to Savannah, you know, people didn't know what to expect with us. And we couldn't get any attention. We sold one ticket in the first two months. And it got so bad that in January of 2016, you know, I got a phone call, we overdrafted our account, and we're completely out of money. And that's when my wife turned to me and said, Jesse, we have to sell the house. And she just had this unbelievable belief in me and what we were doing that it was no big deal for her. We sold the house and got at the worst fixer up you could imagine and started sleeping on an airbed. And, you know, I look back at that time, and I don't think it was anything like, you know, wow, you know, how are we doing this? It was just, hey, take that next step. And we just always believed there was a next step. What's that story? You know, when I think when so many entrepreneurs, when they have this failure, if they look at and say, you know what, this is going to be a great story and stay optimistic and positive and look at that next step. That's what we did. We said, all right, we're struggling now. We got to create attention. We got to name the team something ridiculous. We got to come up with all these ideas to get people talking about us. And once we do that, they'll understand our heart and what we believe and that we really want to create the best fan experience in the world. And uh, we just had that vision and uh, faith. And 
You know, I, everyone comes back. He's like, how do you do it? I'm like, you know, you just you just keep taking steps. You keep taking steps. And that's what we did. All right, David, let's keep this party rolling. Who's next? And for this next clip, it's with Dan White Jr., who wrote Love Over Fear. And I really can't think of a more appropriate book or a more appropriate conversation than in our current divisive, often over politics kind of climate that we live in. And so Dan offers a challenge and some insight into how we as a church can seek love over fear. So enjoy this clip from our episode with Dan White Jr. My understanding of God in Christ is that the incarnation um, isn't just for Christmas. <laughs> it is it is um, the most pivotal and phenomenal statement about how God brings about change. And that is um, he moved into the Nazareth, Nazareth neighborhood and um, embodied a new way of being, the inbreaking kingdom of God. And so that theology of the incarnation presses me to take my neighborhood seriously. Um, I believe the neighborhood is the smallest and most uh, potent unit of change. Um, a lot of people, and, and even my own flesh, wants to be known for more than what's happening in my neighborhood. I want to make a name for myself. Um, but it's the neighborhood that God is calling us to um, contend for the beauty and brokenness. And so um, all of my work has been birthed out of the, uh, man, the, uh, the labor and longevity of trying to love my neighborhood well. Um, and, you're, you know, all theories and theology get really humbled when they have to contend and work for change in a real place, a particular right. place. You know, your, your ideas, <laughs> you realize are idealism and not realism when they have to really work in a local place. So for me, Syracuse is the city I dwell in, but my, my neighborhood on the Southwest side is where for the last 10 years, um, I, my wife and I and a community of people have been trying to um, listen for what God's doing here and then join God and then also contend for the areas um, of beauty and brokenness. All right, Alan, we've heard from some amazing guests. Uh, who do you have for us now? All right, no relationship to Jesse Cole. Next up is Katie Cole. And Katie wrote an incredibly helpful book called Developing Female Leaders. And it is very, very practical. I think a lot of times um, a book can be trying to convince us of a particular point. That's not what this book is. I would say it's primarily written to male leaders on things that we can do practically to develop female leaders, to empower them, to raise them up. So I love this conversation with Katie Cole. I love what she's doing and how she's helping churches, teams, and organizations to practically develop female leaders. So enjoy this helpful and practical conversation with Katie Cole.
The role of mentoring, uh, we talk a lot about in the church, especially when it comes to spiritual mentoring. But in this context, I'm talking about leadership mentoring. And the reality is a 90% of the leadership roles in American, well, actually global churches right now, are male. And so for a female to grow in leadership, she is going to have to have a male mentor because there isn't a lot, there aren't a lot of female leaders to mentor her. So mentors tend to be more relational. It tends to be an aspect of supervising. So it tends to be someone who's more directly related to a growing leader someone who's probably seeing them in their leadership performance can give them feedback. It's usually a relational role where there's a lot of conversation together about what's going on inside your head. What are you trying to accomplish here? Let me give you some feedback. What do you think about that feedback? It's kind of part coaching, part relationship, part accountability. That's what mentoring is. Sponsoring, however, is one of the things that is really undeveloped for female leaders. Sponsoring is this idea that I might not even have a super close relationship with you directly, but as someone in leadership, I'm in higher level leadership conversations in my church or organization, I want to sponsor female leaders in those conversations. So if you have a, a, let's say you have a a woman who's serving in student ministries at, if you're a multi-site church at one of your campuses or leading one of your ministries, a sponsor is someone who's in higher level leadership conversations talking about where our next campus might launch. And I'm familiar enough with all of our leaders, including the women, that when we're having that conversation, talking about who could take different departments and who would be on the launch team and who might be up for this new project, I know enough about the leadership that I can put those women's names in the hat. I can throw their names out in the conversation. I can talk about them from an educated standpoint. She's done this. She's done that. She's very passionate about this. I've seen her on stage. I've seen her with a leadership team. Like I know enough about her that I can advocate for her, champion for her, or sponsor her when it comes to new opportunities. The reason that's so important is because it's very hard for women to sort of get into the informal networking that happens in leadership conversations. So most of us love to mentor and hang out with people like us. And so Sky senior executive campus ministry leaders and pastors will automatically kind of get to know the young male pastoral leaders on their team because there's affinity. They see themselves in that, you know, they see a younger version of themselves in them. It's easy to chit chat. Those guys are have much more confidence even approaching those higher level leaders for conversation if they're the same gender. So it's hard for women to break into those sort of social uh, kind of organic relationships. When it comes time to deciding who's going to be a part of a project or a new task force or a new hire, those guys you know are the ones that you tend to nominate. And so great leaders need to think of themselves not as who do I know, but who am I sponsoring? How do I help make diversity happen? And it doesn't have to be just women. It could be any minority status. It could be ethnic. It could be socioeconomic. It could be people from other countries. It could be different ages if you're trying to get more uh, younger leaders on your team or you're trying to get more elder on your team, wherever your church is sort of lacking diversity, those are the ways we can sponsor different people in those conversations. And then the third one is coaching. And for this, I really advocate female coaching because there are some things I, in the book, I kind of make a claim that there's about 15% of leadership that really is helpful to have from someone who's the same gender as you. So almost all of leadership really transcends gender. It's much more about personality and gifting and style, but about 15% really is unique. And it has to do more with how do I navigate the more personal sides of my life in leadership? So 
like as a mom, there are things that I'm thinking about that are just kind of different than what a dad might be thinking about or someone who doesn't have kids. It might be um, things that are related to my gender, like how do I travel with a group of guys and maintain our integrity, but at the same time, not abdicate all of those relationships or the social things. Uh, There are things that I might do as a woman, like if I get really frustrated, I might start to cry in a meeting, which tends to totally throw guys off. So how do I curb that? How do I navigate that? If that happens to me, what do I do to kind of bring peace to that situation? Those are things that female coaches can help us process through. Plus, there are things that I can say as a female coach to some younger or even not even like younger in age, but younger in their leadership ministry leaders that guys just can't say. I can call them on the clothes that they're wearing. I can call them on their pride that tends to be masked a little differently in a female leader than a male leader. I can kind of call out their insecurities or uh, the sticky floor, which I talk about in the book, those things that they might be spiritualizing, saying no to something when really it's just their insecurity talking. Those are things that a female coach can really bring to a growing female leader um, that really female leaders need all three of these roles. They need mentors, they need sponsors, and they need coaches. I think if we can uh, really orient ourselves to equipping women with all three of those, it will be the trifecta that creates a wheelhouse of development that can really accelerate the growth of the female leaders on your team. All right, David, what do you got next for us? This is Sandra Dalton-Smith, and she comes at rest from a very unique perspective. Not only the spiritual implications as a believer, but she's also a medical doctor. And so she talks about the physical ramifications if we don't rest. She goes through seven different types of rest that we can participate in. And here's a short clip that highlights some of her conversation about her book, Sacred Rest. It's changed everything. I I would probably say my schedule now is busier than it has ever been. And I feel more energized and more at peace and more equipped to tackle that schedule than I did when I had a fourth of the activity with no knowledge of what rest is. Because I think that's what a lot of people don't realize is that when you learn how to live a lifestyle of rest, it's not about needing to take some prolonged sabbatical vacation or doing some type of uh, ritualistic thing to find rest. It's daily evaluating where, if I'm depleted, where am I depleted at? And then making an intentional effort to restore that specific type of rest that that you're needing in that moment so that you don't let these things linger for prolonged periods of time. So every day you start off energized, even if the day is full. And, at, and when you go to bed at night, your mind's not racing because you don't have a mental rest deficit. You've learned how to shut it down and actually have high quality sleep. So your body gets restored in that stage three and stage four non-REM sleep. You, you start getting the full benefits of what a well-rested life looks like. All right, Alan, let's keep the party going. Who's next for us? All right, so this next clip was a bit of a surprise to me. We brought Bruce Miller on the podcast, and he talked about how to lead churches in this time of sexual questioning. It's a unique time to wade through uh, some of these issues within church around sexuality. And so that's predominantly what we were talking about. And in the very end, as we talked about rhythms, Bruce just kind of riffed on some unbelievable 
wisdom. So I actually chose this clip from Bruce at the very end of the podcast. It snuck up on me, but if you want to go back and listen to episode 38, the podcast is great, but this is a completely different vein. Bruce Miller waxes eloquent on rhythms. I live my life rhythmically. I believe that balance just doesn't work. I don't think the balance is as as powerful a paradigm as rhythm for a well-lived life. I think balance is more static and rhythm is more dynamic. And so I have set up a number of rhythms in my life. Um, Gosh, we could talk about this for the whole podcast. Actually, it's a whole other topic, but... I think a question people need to ask is not only what's my mission, what are my values, all good questions, how am I designed, but a question we don't ask as often is what time is it in my life? What time is it in my life? Hmm. Meaning what stage am I in? What seasons am I in? And there's there's two kinds of fundamental rhythms in life, kairos rhythms and chronos rhythms. And kairos are about the right time, the, the appropriate moment. And chronos is more like measured time, uh, the day, the week, the month, the quarter, the year, measured time. And so one question is, what stage of life am I in? And when you look at that, you want to ask three strategic questions. What are expectations for this time that don't fit? How can I seize opportunities that are unique to this time? And what can I look forward to in what's coming? What, it's, it's hope of what's coming next. And so for me, I'm, I'm in an empty nest stage and a just brand new grandfather stage. And so there are wonderful opportunities to seize with grandchildren. So that's, that's kind of one part of it. But when you look at rhythms, which of uh, chronos rhythms, that starts looking at habits and that sort of thing, which, which I have built into my life at, at multiple levels. Can you share one or two of those that you feel like has been uh, sustaining or life-giving to you? Yeah. So I guess one question that probably spiritual leaders ask is how much time should you spend with God? Should you do the seven minute with God little pamphlet or do you do the Martin Luther? I'm so busy. I should spend two hours today with God. And (laughs) should I plan more or pray more? And you know, it just is, um, we find ourselves constantly, at least I do torn about that. So I thought, what if we think rhythmically? And one of my thoughts is we tend to think time is linear And yes, Christian theology is linear. We're not cyclical like Hindus. However, the way God made the world is cyclical, not linear. It's not just moment, 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 but it actually is the day, the week, the month, the quarter, and the year. And these are built into the way that the cycles of the earth and the sun and the moon work. So what I've done is I have a daily time with God. So I I think you can think of your rhythms on those five fundamental cycles. So for the day... My aim is to spend an hour a day with God in the morning, but then on a week, on Fridays, which is my day off, to spend two hours. So a longer time on Fridays, and then once a month to spend the day, which is like a six to eight hours, once a month on a Friday, and then once a quarter take 24 hours, and often fast, and then once a year to take a three-day spiritual retreat. And so that those rhythms, and I don't do that perfectly, but that's my general way I live is an hour a day with the Lord, two hours a week, six hours on a monthly rhythm, and then 24 hours on a quarter and three days for an annual spiritual retreat. All right, David. So I know this next guest I was a big fan of. 
um, you're a big fan of, and he just dropped some practical wisdom. Who you got coming to us next? This one is a wise sage to many church leaders, and he really needs no introduction, but it is Larry Osborne. What I love about our conversation with Larry is he just gives perspective on someone who has been in ministry for the long haul. He has committed himself to North Coast Church uh, to see it thrive, not just for his ministry there, but for the next generation. And so I deeply respect Larry, and here's a clip of our episode with Larry Osborne. Well, what happened to me is when uh, I was uh, first starting out, I couldn't get any of the people I looked up to to give me the time of day. First of all, they'd have, you know, uh, three guard the gate assistants and you you just couldn't get any time with them. And when you did, they'd forget the appointment and give you off to their associate, whatever it would be. And so at that point, uh, I made a decision that if there was ever a time where people actually wanted uh, some of my time or some of my experience or knowledge uh, that I would be available. So I was probably in my early 30s when I made that commitment. Uh, And so when that time came, I just followed through on that commitment uh, because it just seemed ridiculous to me that I couldn't talk to the people who were three, four, five steps ahead of me until I was in their camp. And then suddenly when you're sitting in the green room with them, they're all your friend. I go, this is a little late. I don't need you anymore, dude. Uh, I needed you 15 years ago, but you were, you were too much of a big shot to give time to little guys like me. So that's really where it started. Just trying again, almost like the church at North coast is a church I'd want to go to. Uh, I try to mentor and help out pastors and be the pastor I wish was willing to mentor and help me. All right, Alan, I love reflecting on all these different conversations that we've had already. Um, some just amazing, amazing conversations. So what do you got for us next? All right. My last choice of my 10 actually goes to Rebecca Lyons. And you chose her uh, in the last episode as one of your highlights. Uh, Not only was it a great episode, it was an incredible book and actually got an honorable mention for our Right Side Up Awards uh, as a message that we need to hear more of. She shares from her own story of anxiety but brings very, very practical thoughts on how to overcome anxiety, how to manage it, how to live with it, and ultimately how to seek freedom through it. So here's a clip of my episode and my interview with Rebecca Lyons. You know, practice and rhythm takes time. And the, the beauty of rhythm is it it's every single day. It's for the rest of your life. It's, it's a new way of living. It's reordering and getting back to the basics. So the four rhythms are rest, restore, connect, and create. I start with rest because it's the one, it's the weakest rhythm for everybody. Um, everyone's killing it and create, but they're also really tired and burned out and their, and their family lives aren't strong. (laughs) So I think part of it is getting back to, um, taking inventory of our life. I start the book with just pause, get quiet, be still and listen, examine the heart. Am I okay? Why do I feel this chronic need to keep running? What am I running from? What am I running toward? <laughs> are, are God and I okay? You know, like we have to examine the heart and that can't happen until we stop. And so intake inventory, it's all about, you know, what you answer for question, what's right, what's wrong, what's confused, what's missing. And when you start to expose those things with brutal honesty, not like editing yourself, but you start to get real honest before God 
before yourself, maybe with your spouse or your loved one, um, then you can honestly now take a clearer picture of like, oh, I'm actually overproducing or or overworking because I feel a lack of worth fundamentally deep in my bones because somewhere along the lines, I bought the lie that I'm not worthy of love unless I earn it. It's like, let's get to the baseline of why we're acting out in these ways and let's invite God into those places because you can't heal what is hidden. So you got to expose these things with sincerity and say, let's start this again. And so with rest, I do practical things like routines for deep sleep or a morning routine or Sabbath or, um, you know, stillness, quiet, you know, things like that, that um, tech detox, of course, if you just stop, you know, looking at your phone for, I did it for three months. I got off social, all social media last summer. I was like, wow, I started sleeping again, dreaming again, and learning again. I had original wow. ideas and thoughts. I, it was not like I looked at somebody do something and I was writing my book during this time. And I'm so thankful. I was voraciously learning and researching and reading, but I was not online. Um, I like books by dead people. I mean, I'm all about stuff that was like a century ago because I think sometimes they cut through the noise of today. And I was studying the lives of people that lived centuries behind us, before us, and how productive they were and how much they took naps. (laughs) I was like, this is so fascinating to me that Hemingway did volumes of work and took a nap every day. Or that past presidents, you know, just had like incredible legacies left behind them and they did naps, they took walks, and then their afternoon was reserved for quote unquote correspondence, which I guess we would call email. But the beginning of the day, their first hours of the day was always about creativity, innovation, ingenuity. And I thought, oh, it's not about maintaining. It's about like unique ideas, those are the people who lead. If we want to be people who lead, we certainly can't be staring at what everyone else is doing. We actually have to ask God to give us some creative um, imagination, like a holy imagination for what he might want to do right now in our, in our day and in our moment. All right, David, what is your last choice for a highlight of 2019? So we started with Lance Witt, and we want to finish with Lance. Lance is a pastor to pastors. His ministry is all about helping leaders get healthy. So he speaks our language, and he was even kind enough to spend some time with us on one of our Stay Fort Designs experiences. So we love Lance. We've loved having him on the podcast. And so please enjoy this final clip with Lance Witt. He was an old Irishman. His name was Cecil McGugan. And, and I just remember how hard it was to lead Cecil. And, and then having this epiphany one day, like leading Cecil was a cakewalk compared to what it looks like to lead myself. And I think part of it is, again, I've got these blind spots. I've got stuff in me that I don't even realize is broken and messed up and stuff that's carried over from my childhood or early, you know, family of origin stuff. And so I think it's just this whole process of learning to, you know, uncover all that and begin to make the hard choices about leading yourself. And I think one of the things that's hard about leading yourself is that you often give yourself a free pass when you wouldn't give other people a free pass. 
And so I think it's being honest and seeking good feedback from other people. So one of the questions I've been learning to ask in these last few years, and it's not an easy one, but when people are giving me feedback about something or they're bringing a, a hard conversation to me, when I have courage, sometimes I will ask them this question, what's the last 10% you still haven't told me? Like what, what is it? I, what's the part that you feel a little uncomfortable to tell me, but if I'm really going to grow from this and get better, I've got to know this. And, uh, so I, I think this whole issue of self-leadership, paying attention to what's going on deep in your soul, all those broken places, that's what makes it so challenging for us to really lead ourselves well. But until I lead myself well, I can't really expect to lead my church very well. Well, guys, that's it. Hard to believe we have finished 2019. This is the last episode of the year, but we want to remind you, we are going to drop an episode every Tuesday and every Thursday this next year. Coaching may be for you. We have group coaching going on right now. We'll continue to offer that throughout the year. We have tools that can help you set your goals for the year, and maybe it's time for you to schedule a breakthrough session and actually consider one-on-one -on -one coaching. So, David, for the last time of 2019, can you sign us out of the podcast? Well, you've heard us say this before, but we are crazy enough to believe that you can lead for the long haul and not lose your soul along the way. We hope that these conversations have helped reinforce that idea, have given you tools and insights and reminders that you can lead healthy in your life. And so... Thank you for following along with us and making 2019 so special. We have loved doing this. It has truly been an honor and a privilege to host these conversations. They've impacted us just as much as they've impacted you, I'm sure. And so Alan and I are just thrilled by this podcast. And so we're looking forward to 2020. We hope that you will continue to track along with us. Please share this podcast with your friends if you think it will be valuable to them. And um, we'll see you in 2020. Shot, 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 shot.